0: Ezra chapter 7 in verse 10. Let's read that verse from last week. Uh, Ezra seven ten. would you read the verse together with me? Ready, begin. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Last week we looked at this man Ezra and how Ezra had a well-established heart by the very word of God. And we, we saw last week that his heart was established because he planned to seek God. He set out on a plan. He was going to seek God and he made a plan to do it. He purposed in his heart to do whatever God, as he was seeking God, told him to do. And then he determined and he planned to teach. And see, because he had a well-established heart, he was able to teach and lead the nation. Wouldn't it be great? If our national leaders had well-established hearts today, wouldn't it be great if each of us had well-established hearts around the Word of God? And I tell you, um, it is very easy to, to let our own opinions shape our direction instead of God's Word. And Ezra let his heart be directed by the very Word of God. Let's, let's now turn to our text for today, which is going to be Proverbs. Proverbs 23. Last week I was going to preach out of both these texts, but there was not enough time to cover both of them. Proverbs 23 speaks of the heart, and it speaks of deep heart conditions. As David said in Psalms 51, 7 through 9, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Wake up, my glory, awake, psalter and harm. Heart, I myself will awake early. Last week we looked at how David woke up early to seek God. And this week as we continue and look into Proverbs, now chapter 23... We are looking at the heart conditions, Proverbs in chapter 23. And let's look at what the Bible says, if you would, beginning in verse 7. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. A lot of mentions of the heart in this passage. The Bible says, For as he, look at this phrase and read the phrase together with me, thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the Bible says that the man is like he thinks. Eat and drink, saith he, to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up, and he says if you hang out with this person, he says thou shalt, verse 8 says, and lose thy sweet words. Solomon says, hey, by the way, don't hang out with certain people because if you do... As they are thinking in their heart, the same way that they think, it will now become the way you think. And he's thinking a certain way that's not right. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And you're going to eat some of his food with him. This is talking about a ruler that is uh, a deceitful ruler. It says in verse 8, and you will lose your sweet words. It's possible to lose our sweet words because of a wrong influence. He goes on... And says in verse 12, Apply thine heart unto what? Instruction. And thine ears to the words of knowledge. Parenting advice. Withhold not correction from the child. I'm not sure how you can misinterpret this verse. It only reads one way. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. You will study any culture that has well-behaved children. They live by verses 13 and 14. Done right, done in love. Verse 15. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall... What does he say? So, you know what, son? If you just have a wise heart, I'll be happy. Even mine, he says... Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. You ever hear something or about your child or about some person and it just makes your whole stomach get upset? He's saying, look, my stomach's going to be in order because that's what he's speaking of when he speaks of his reign shall rejoice. He's saying, when thy lips speak right things. Why, my heart and my soul, I'm not going to have digestive problems, he says, because you are doing right. Then he says in verse 17, Let not thine heart envy Sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. We're going to study this passage, jump down to verse 26. My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. And He says... In verse 27, for a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman a narrow pit. Verse 33, thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. You ever say something, you say, man, I never intended to say that. I never thought that would be thinking that. The passage teaches us how to avoid getting to a place where our heart begins to speak things that are perverse. It teaches us how to avoid all this. It's a beautiful passage. Let's ask the Lord to use it in our life this morning. Father, I pray you take your word right now and just illuminate our hearts. Remove the distractions from our mind, and may we see what you see. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us into your presence, and that our heart condition might be pleasing in your sight. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This phrase, apply thine heart, in verse 12, if I could draw your attention back to verse 12, apply thine heart. It is used three times in Scripture. It's used first in uh, Proverbs 2.2. 2, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. So he speaks of applying our heart, and that word apply means to enter in, to besiege, to lead in. When an army besieges a city... Do they have a plan if they win? He's saying apply your heart. In the same way that you would besiege a city to overtake it, make a plan, apply. Direct your heart in a right way. And he is saying that we must apply our heart to specific things. So he says, apply our inclined thine heart to wisdom, apply thine heart to understanding. Proverbs 22, verse 17. If you look over on your page, you'll see the verse right there. Proverbs twenty-two seventeen 17 also says, bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. He says, apply thine heart unto my knowledge. I tell you, it's a beautiful thing to have children in church, isn't it? A church without children is a dying church, all right? And mine's just teething this week, um, Don't you remember when you were teething, okay? And uh, pray that she falls asleep quickly, okay? Um, She screamed all night last night. She needs to take a nap during church, okay? It's kind of just... Now, don't any of you all try that today? But she did it. When she's going, we know what she'll be doing during church. Um, He says, apply thine heart to knowledge. And he speaks of bowing down. We all bow down to something. You know, the word heart is mentioned in the Bible 830 times. 830 times. This word heart is mentioned 10% of those times, 81 times in Proverbs. Combining that with Psalms, Psalms mentions it about 120 times. You got 200 times the words heart is mentioned in just Psalms and Proverbs. Now, David was a man after God's own Interesting, right? His son had a lot of wisdom about the Heart, And I believe God wants us to have a wise heart as well. If you go to the Gospels and you see what Jesus said, in all of the Gospels, the word heart is only mentioned half of those times, half the times in Proverbs, 44 times. When you're reading the Bible, you see each author had a different intent. And yes, Jesus cared about the heart, and he spoke about loving God with all of our heart, which is the greatest command But Solomon speaks about wisdom, and wisdom is directly connected to the heart. So Proverbs, wisdom connected to the heart. David, a man who loves God, his love connected to his heart. Nothing nothing valuable is achieved without effort. And Fritz Keisler, the famous violinist, testified to this point when he said, narrow is the road that leads to the life of a violinist. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, for years, I lived with my violin. There were so many things I wanted to do that I had to leave undone. There were so many places I wanted to go that I had to miss if I was to master the violin. And the road that I traveled was narrow. It was a narrow road, and the way was hard. He said, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, uh, a man, uh, Luciano said, uh, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. The tenor Luciano said, he said uh, he urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. A professor in his hometown of Moderna, Italy, took him in as a pupil, enrolled him in, as a teacher, in a teacher's college, and upon graduating, he asked his father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, or whatever we choose, we should give ourselves wholly to it. Commitment is the key. Choose one chair. This morning, if you don't know which chair we're challenging you to choose, it is putting our heart and and a heart in a place that is seeking after God. So applying our heart, whatever we do, whether we go to work, whether this week we're going to be helping a friend, whether this week we're going to be studying, whatever you're doing, whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're caring for someone, wherever you are at, setting one goal this week, I want to seek God with my heart. Setting in one chair. Turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah 17 and verse 10. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10. I want to have a a balanced approach at our church uh, in the way that we uh, study the Word of God and the way that we read it and the way that we lead in the service. Some weeks I'll put all the verses on the screen, other weeks I may have us turn to those verses because I want us to also find them in our Bible. And Jeremiah 17 in verse 10, and then I get talking and I lose my place, all right? You got Jeremiah, seventeen, in verse ten. If you turn there with me, it's important that we also turn in our Bibles during the week. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. "I mean, the entrance of Thy Word giveth understanding." The Bible says, Jeremiah seventeen, verse ten. I, the Lord, we just say the next phrase together with me. Search the heart. He says, "I try the reins to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit." Of his doings. I, the Lord, he says, search the heart. Psalms 139, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me me, and know my thoughts. Indeed, as we think in our hearts, so are we. And this morning, as we look into this passage, Proverbs 23, we see the deep heart conditions. First, we see the meditations of the heart. The meditations of the heart. Look in verse 7. The Bible is speaking of this man. Let's look at how he's described. Verse 1, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties for their deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Isn't that the American dream, to labor to be rich? That's not God's plan. God's plan is to labor to serve, to labor to love, to labor to give, and to make me a wise steward to plan ahead. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat not the bread. Eat not thou the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desires dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart... So is he. Be careful who you hang out with, he says. Be careful who you sit down to eat with... ...because as they are thinking in their heart... ...that's how you'll become. The meditations of the heart. As I muse in my heart upon my bed... ...the psalmist said. We all think about something. Luke 6, 45, Jesus said... ...a good man out of the good treasure of his heart... ...bringeth forth good things... We bring out what is in our heart. If your heart is thoughtful, you'll think of others. If your heart is selfish, you'll think of yourselves. A heart applied to wisdom is going in the right place. Look in verse 12. Apply thine heart to instruction and thy ears to the words of knowledge. And then in verse 15, he says this wise heart gives joy to others. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. He says, you know what, you're going to make me a happy father if you'll seek after wisdom. Meditations of the heart are important, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What if the thoughts of our heart got put up on the screen for everybody to see this week? Anybody want to volunteer all of your thoughts this week to go there? Now, I heard that our uh, Bill Gates is trying to, you know, and and of course... uh, Elon Musk, also, they're both very connected to these types of technologies. And they want to be able to control things by your brain. So you can just, you know, it would be really convenient for the lazy American, right? You're sitting on your couch. I want my car to start. You just think about it, and your Tesla all of a sudden starts. Hopefully the power grid's on to charge that silly thing. All right? And then, uh, forgive me if any of you have Teslas. I don't know. Okay? Um, But then he goes, Elhan, you could just think, and your oven would turn on. I think you probably could think and the chicken would come out of the refrigerator and go right into the oven. I mean, that's the way that they're trying to make life so easy. But really, do we want, wouldn't that be kind of cool in the woods, though? I mean, if all those turkey were controlled, right? You could just think, think turkey. By the way, I I think Christian does kind of have a connection in that way, right? I mean, he goes out on opening day, you know, at 6 a.m., he's sending me a message. Hey, there's a turkey right here. I mean, I don't know when he killed that thing. Or that thing is already ready to go. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. I'll tell you, if, if I go out every day this week, I know I probably won't get one, okay? Okay, that's just, that's just my fortune with hunting. Um, but, you know, whatever you're thinking about, you can do it. Whatever you're thinking about, you'll become like it. There's a great weakness of all human beings, Henry Ford said. It's trying to do too many things at once. That scatters effort and destroys direction. It makes for haste, and haste makes waste. So we do things all wrong, the wrong way is possible, before we come to the right one. Then we think it's best because we know it works. And it's the only way that was left that we could see. And every now and then, we wake up in the morning, headed toward that finality with a dozen things that we want to do. He said sometimes he would wake up like that, and he said, I know I can't do them all at once. And when asked what he did about it, Ford replied, I simply go out and trot around the house. And while I'm running off the excess energy that wants to do too much, my mind clears and I can see what needs to be done and what should be done first. Henry Ford, known for his accomplishment, right? Aren't you thankful for automobiles? even if you might not drive a Ford, okay? You're thankful for automobiles. Somebody had to think that thing up and invent that, all right? And Ford attributes his success in many ways to having a focused mind, a focused mind. The verse, verse 17, says to not envy sinners. Look at this text. The text is all about the heart. And I think it's interesting how Solomon, when he's, Admonishing his son and admonishing young men who will follow behind him. He says in verse 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners. So don't be jealous of the sports people and how much they can make when you see how much they accomplish right I mean, those staggering numbers that you see after what they signed on and they got this bonus, and the bonus was more than you and I are going to make in 25 years if we work hard at our job, okay? You know, but that's their sign-on bonus, right? And you see, wow, that's just so incredible. They're such an awesome person. Do you realize that simply because they can just throw something stuffed with air in a certain direction or hit it or whatever, and now they are successful because of that, okay? It... It's simply because they have perfected that. And we can, we can have, and I will tell you that some of them, yes, are God-fearing, but many of them are not, right? And he says, let not thine heart envy. Don't be envious because somebody else has something that you don't have. But he says, instead, be thou in the fear of the Lord. How? All the day long. Verse 18, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Verse 19, hear thou, my son, he says, we read this a moment ago, but I'm going to go into the whole passage here. Hear thou, my son, and be wise. He says, son, be wise. He says, guide thine heart in the way. He's saying, look, now, now son, don't be envious of those sinners. Now you've got to guide your heart. So you, you ought to meditate right, but now, son, we're going we're to guide our heart. How are we going to guide our heart? The guidance of the heart. Look at what he admonishes his son to do. Verse 20, be not among what does he say? Could you say the word together with me? Wine. Winebibbers. Among riotous eaters of flesh. Now he goes on to describe in verse 21 exactly what he said in verse 20. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. Now, the Bible mentions both together. America has a big problem with gluttony. Do you know we not? Right? We can just upsize the fast food meal, right? We can go to McDonald's, and you can just get a bigger meal. Make it a little, you want to supersize that? You want to get a bigger drink with it? Like we need that soda that's not going to digest for days in our system, but we're going to get that, right? Because it tastes good. The American culture craves these things, right? The American culture is an unguided culture, The guidance of the heart and knowing that his son was going to struggle. By the way, when you look back through maybe older movies and you see a king, is he normally skinny? No, he's normally fat, okay? I don't know why anybody would worship Buddha. He looked like he had a lot of health problems, okay? I mean, okay, you just (laughs) live. I tell you, right? Right? So he says, my son, don't be among wine among riotous eaters of flesh. So somebody who's following after, they're just really full of drinking to an excess. They're also full of uh, eating to an excess. And he says, the drunkard and the glutton shall come to riches. No, what does he say? They're going to come to what? Poverty. Poverty. Whenever somebody says to me, hey, how did you get that? I say to them, that's what I bought with beer money that I never spent on beer. Okay? You understand, you take all that money and you add it up over years, and I, I did the math with somebody recently. I mean, the average American spending about $2,400 on alcohol, and uh, very few would give that much to the house of God, but they'll give it to themselves for alcohol. It's amazing how people are so entrenched in this. Sin. Uh, He also describes the sin of gluttony. They're together in the passage. He says, look, in verse 21, he also speaks of something else, which is also a cultural sin we have today in America. And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. What does the Americans say? Oh, I just don't feel like going into work. I have a headache. Probably related to the other two activities described in the passage, okay? But he's saying, uh, now I'm drowsy, now I can't go into work. Isn't that a problem? For those who hire people to work for you, it's hard to find somebody that will come into work and come in on time. Drowsiness, he says, shall clothe a man with rags. Well, the government's just going to pay for my bills, and I'm going to enjoy it. Ultimately, it'll be a poor society. He goes on and says, hearken, verse 22, to thy father that beget thee. This is all guidance. He's saying, guide your heart. If you see this man over here enjoying all this... ...you see this man over here enjoying all this food... ...this guy's over here drunk and telling you this is the way to go... ...I never thought that somebody would actually tell me... ...that my wife and I, in order to be right with God, needed to drink... ...but I have been told that in the last six months, okay? Now, you read in Proverbs chapter 30... ...I want you to see this with me, if you would... ...and the Bible speaks of... uh, ...actually, Proverbs 31... This is some advice that Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man, gave to his son. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to, what does he say? Drink. To drink wine. Nor for princes, strong drink. Now why is it not for kings? Lest they, forget. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Now, contrasting verse lest you feel like the Bible is biased. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Have you ever known, though, anybody who was a poor person who got rich because they drank? It doesn't happen that way. But Solomon's saying, look, if somebody's at the end of the rope, in the same way that you would give them some medication, he is giving his son some advice and saying, look, There's a time that it could be okay, but he says, by the way, it's for somebody that's poor, and so he can forget his poverty. But you know what? You don't really forget it because it comes back. You still have to wake up and find the car and figure out where you're at in life. Okay, and so the guidance of the heart, Solomon is advising his son. Look, hey, don't get caught up in gutting. Don't get caught up in drinking. Guard your heart. Guide your heart in the right way. Apply your heart to wisdom. By the way, if you chapter 31, if you want to be a wise king, you want to not forget the law, don't get caught up in these things. So uh, when when I was advised to do that, I thought to myself, why would I disregard the word of God which says, wine is a mocker, strong drinks, raging, who serves to deceive, thereby is not wise. Why would I disregard Proverbs 31 that says a king... If he's going to be wise, he should not partake of wine and alcohol. So, because I want to be wise, I need to follow the Word of God, right? So, we're just trying to follow the Word of God, right? Now, look, uh, the Word of God continues to speak to us, and He's giving wisdom about how to guide our heart. He says in verse uh, 26, My son, um, He says, My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. How often does a parent say to their child, especially in our culture, do what I say, don't do what I do. Right? My two and three year olds are already starting to ask questions about everything. Okay, And uh, this is one subject they've already asked about. Even though they're not even around it. They've asked about it because they see the cans on the side of the road. And they, uh, they see that folks are involved in that. If just by casual observation, they've asked us about this multiple times already at the ages of two and three. And don't tell me that a little child doesn't observe. Um, we were having vacation Bible school last year, right? And, and we, there was a story in the vacation Bible school. And in that story, uh, the child was involved in things that child should not have been involved in. And, you know, uh, sometimes we can perceive, and I remember somebody even came up to me afterwards, and they said, you know what, people in that age category, four-year-olds, they've never seen that. They've never seen alcohol. They've never been around cigarettes or anything like that. I said, Really? What kind of a shoebox are we living in, right? I mean, kids that are little, they can see that. All they got to do is go walk to Walmart and walking in the door, they can see all that stuff going on right outside the door, okay? Uh, Including the, the sale of drugs. I mean, it's all right there. And so he says, guide thine heart in the way. Guide thine heart. Verse 31, speaking of how to guide the heart, actually, I've skipped a few verses that I need to observe, Okay. Verse 27, for a whore is a deep ditch, a strange woman is a narrow pit. She lieth in wait for a prey, increaseth transgressors among men. Who hath woe, verse 29, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without a cause, who hath redness of eyes? He says, who's into all these things? Who's got a sorrowful life? Who's got a lot of strife? Verse 30, they that tarry long out the, what does he say? They that go to seek, mixed. Wine. Say, do I have liberty? You have liberty, but watch out. The liberty could take us the wrong direction. Okay? He says that tarrying long at that could get into a lot of trouble. And it is very easy to get caught up in things that could misguide our heart. Verse going on down, he says in verse 31 uh, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup when it moveth itself aright. It looks so good, people will say. We were at a waterfall. You say, how did these things come up? I mean, we were at a waterfall uh, two days ago, and my wife, you know, Wednesday she uh, sprained her foot or injured it somehow, and thank the Lord it healed. Now, I think it was, it was a magical planning in some ways, because um, we got crutches on Thursday, you know, for my wife, and she used those uh, Thursday and Friday, and now she's better, but uh, I, I had the privilege of being able to cook those days for our anniversary, and it was perfect timing. Uh, on her part, she couldn't get into the kitchen, you know, so I got to cook for a few days, and then, then this morning, she was magically well again, all right, and uh, <laughs> anniversary's over, you know, okay, no, I just, um, I know it was not planned, I just like tease, right, you can have a little humor in your marriage, but, uh, <laughs> and thank you for those who prayed for her that she would get feeling better. But when we went down to this waterfall, my wife, who I'm very proud of her, she went about a half mile down this hill on crutches, down this gravel road. She was very intent going down there so that the girls could see this waterfall. And as we were looking at that waterfall, enjoying the beautiful view, went to about the only place where we could sit. And you know what else was happening right there? I thought somebody was just having a picnic. They were not having a picnic. They were having a get drunks fest, Okay. And they were over there just chugging it down. And my, I mean, they had every type of. Bot- they didn't just have Bud Light. Like, they had everything. They had the big bottles. And it's one lady. She drank the entire big thing. I mean, just I don't know what it was, but it looked like it wasn't uh, weak. And uh, okay, <laughs> just saying. And there was talk about contrasting people and contrasting culture. There was also a Jewish family that was there, all dressed in their Jewish formal attire, and they were walking down, and they were, and they were dressed uh, like. They were people who worshiped God, you know, and they were down there uh, just enjoying nature and their whole family was there, an extended family. It was clear they were distinct. They were different from everybody else, right? By the way, God doesn't want us to be distinct. There ought to be some sort of a distinction. And we were sitting there enjoying our lunch and my daughter looks over there and what are they? Daddy, they're drinking that nasty juice, all right? And my wife said to me a comment, which I thought was very interesting. She said, I don't know why somebody would want something that tastes so disgusting and actually enjoy it. Tastes so disgusting and actually enjoy it. It's fermented. I mean, we don't eat anything. Do you, do you eat fermented uh, putrid meat? We throw that out, but yet it's something that's fermented. And uh, well, I don't know why somebody would enjoy that, and I don't either. But nevertheless, since the very days of Noah... It's something Noah enjoyed that got him into trouble with his son and caused sodomite things to happen. Adultery is intensified by this substance. Look in verse 31. Because he says, going down, he says, don't look upon it. And then he says, at the last, verse 32, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder." Look, I've killed two snakes this week because I didn't want to get bit by them. You know, they were their garter snakes. I don't, like, I don't care for snakes. He says... At last it biteth like a serpent. I don't want my little kid to get bit by a snake. He says this substance is going to bite you. He says in verse 33, now this is all about the heart. Thine eyes, because of this, he says, shall behold strange women. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast, a mast? He realized the ship has this massive, massive mast pole sticking up there. He's saying you're going to lay down on top of that thing and you're going to be thrashed all over the place. You're going to say they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me and I felt it not. When shall I awake? What does he say? I will, what does he say? Seek it yet again. He says it's a temptation to go back to this. The guidance of the heart. He says to his son, hey, by the way, son, if you want to be wise, guide your heart. And the end result of an improperly guided heart is that our heart begins to say perverse things. Is is not our culture full of this? Perverse words. Um, Perverse words. The end result of an unguided heart is an unguided heart will arrive where it's headed. Nowhere. An unguided heart arrives where it's headed. Nowhere. We must guide our heart because God is considering our ways. He goes on... In verse 20, chapter 24, verse 1, be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. For their look at this, heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mis- of, of mischief. Through wisdom is a house builded, by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So he says, look, if you follow after God's wisdom, you will have provision. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel shalt thou make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. Now go down to verse 12. If thou says, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that... Pondereth the heart, consider it, and shall not he? He that keepeth thy soul shall not he? Doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? Now go down to verse seventeen. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine. Would you say the word? Be glad when he stumbleth. It's all about the heart. The whole passage deals with the heart. See, you're trying to point out one particular thing, my friend. I think the main sin in America is is, is gluttony. And second to that would be uh, that our culture is extremely, extremely uh, drunk. And you say, how do you know that? Go to one of these businesses down here. Go to, go to the Scoonies. Ask them if they stopped selling that substance, if they would still stay in business. I'll tell you what the answer is. No. Go to Price Chopper. If they stopped selling that substance, would they stay in business? The answer is, probably not. Most of these businesses, what keeps them in business, even Pertortes up in Whitehall... I asked the gentleman, how are you doing? How's the business going? He said, it's been great. Three things have treated me well. Cigarettes, beer, and lottery tickets. He said, that's how I'm in business. He said, that's how my house right over here is paid for. Everything he has is a result of those three substances. Three addictions. Okay? And so he, these are just guys that are, have, have turned out well in life with finances, but they got their finances from these substances, and that is how many businesses in this community stay Awake. I thought it was interesting driving up even the road coming up. There was a lot of historical landmarks. There was one historical church we went to. And uh, this beautiful, beautiful church. And you know this church has been in existence since the 1700s. Beautiful, massive building. The steeple was twice as big as the, uh, as the building itself. Massive stone building. Could we see inside of it, we said. And they were, by the way, they were trying to keep the place open with a, a bake sale and some things they were doing right there. And walked inside and the lady was so kind to show us around. And she said, oh, you're pastor of church? She said, how many people come to your church? And she said, wow. She said, you know, at our church, we only have maybe on a big Sunday 12 people. Maybe on a big Sunday 12 people. And she described it, and you look around, and it looked like you were entering a museum, not a church. My friend... They even had a thing on the wall that said the relics. And look, we enjoy history. It was beautiful to see the relics. But my friend, relics don't get people to heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we went to that museum. Really? And they were sweet people. But my friend, being sweet doesn't get somebody to heaven. Um, They they were enjoying a beautiful building. They got to go in and worship and they had somebody even play. She said, we're so blessed to have somebody play the organ for us. And every week they have an organist there. Only 12 people in the service, but they have an organist which, by the way, is a pretty cool accomplishment for a tiny church like that. But it's more about the experience, walking in and enjoying the building, than it is about worshiping God. And she described their new woman pastor they just got. And you had a list on the wall of all the pastors that church had had. Many of them who had sacrificed for the gospel and Now the church is heading in a completely different direction. And then you went down the road, and there was historical markers for lots of things. And you know what the predominant thing we noticed historical markers for? Tavern sites. There was historical markers for all these taverns. They'd all burned down. And you know the the place that was packed? wasn't the church house, my friend. The guidance of the heart. Guidance of the heart. The story is told of Arnold Palmer. Many of you know him. He grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, a steel manufacturing town. His dad, though, had suffered from polio and worked as a head groundskeeper at the golf course. Arnold simply learned to play golf by being on the golf course with his father. That gave him direct access to that golf course. And as you well know, he became one of the most accomplished golfers throughout history. I mean, in 2008, the guy had earned over $30 million it Was worth that much by simply one sport, golf. And he said of his, uh, when, you, when you look at his life, he went, by the way, he served in the military. He went and uh, served in the Coast Guard for three years. In those three years, he was there at Cape May, New Jersey. And guess what he built? On the base, a nine-hole Golf course. Now you tell me about that, Kamari. You're going to go to college, right? You're going to go to college usually for four years. If you go out there, I hope you, by the way, I hope you enjoy the mini golf course. They did let me build it, but I was only like there for a few days. I was not there for the whole thing. I got to enjoy helping with that little project, but that was not my design. There was somebody else who was designing the whole thing, okay? You're going to get to enjoy playing on that golf course when you go to college out there. But if you go out there and you build in the massive... Desert, a huge golf course in three years of being there. Pretty big accomplishment, okay? This guy was so dead set and so focused. You say, how did he even get permission to do that? I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool, studying, looking up his life and studying some things about Arnold Palmer. This guy had a focused life. I mean, he's only in the military for three years, but he goes ahead and builds an entire golf course while he's there on the... On the uh, on the uh, base, is, is there more than nine holes? How many holes are there, guys? Help me out. Eighteen, all right. builds a half a golf course, all right. Look, see, I don't play, I don't play golf, all right. Uh, I have no desire to chase a little white ball around the field. Uh, I'd rather go hike a mountain or something, but if you enjoy it, go right ahead. Um, but Arnold became a legend and was well-respected because of one thing. He set his heart to perfect the sport. He said it started with a dream... To play the game with unmatched perfection. How? With unmatched perfection. Arnold, how did you become famous? Because he grew up in a wealthy home. No, his dad suffered from polio. Arnold, how did you become famous? Because you grew up in an affluent area? Nope, grew up in a small town, steel mill town. Arnold, how did you become famous? Arnold, how did you become so good at the sport? It started with a dream, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, to play the game with unmatched perfection. He dreamed about how to make it perfect. If you dream, if I dream about how to walk with God in a perfect way, do you think we might wind up doing that? Our heart must be maintained because meditations determine our destiny and guidance is important. It determines where we will arrive. God cares about our hearts, an unguarded heart, an unguided heart will arrive where it's headed. Also an unguarded heart will too. Let's look at this verse from last week. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. Set your heart to build the temple of God in 1 Chronicles 22. Rehoboam though, we saw last week he had a bad legacy because he did evil, because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He simply didn't set out to prepare to do it. So, It started with a dream to play the game with unmatched perfection. Rehoboam didn't set out with a good good goal. Every purpose is established by counsel with good advice. Make war, Proverbs says. If we would have a good heart, we must have a personal daily walk with God, loving and leaning on his word each day. Would you ask God to help you? Lord, I want to love you. I want to lean on your word each day. I want to be strong. Instead of complaining about where I'm placed in life, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, uh, whatever you think you might be, don't complain about your lot in life where that tree is planted. Don't complain about where you're at. Instead, we ought, if we're going to have a good heart, we have to maintain a personal daily walk with God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Meditate right and guide right. It's a decision. You meditate right, you guide your heart in the right place, you'll wind up at the right destination Maybe we should just ask the Lord this morning, Lord, would you help me to meditate right? Lord, would you help me to guide my heart in the right way? There's a lot of things pulling at my heart today. I want to lead a life that's pleasing to God. Will you let the Spirit of Christ establish the work He already planned to do in you from the day that He created you? Let's ask God to help us with this this morning. We're going to close in prayer. As we close, we're going to stand. We're going to stand for a moment of invitation. Would you join me in standing? Maybe this morning you do not know Jesus as your Savior. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. And when Jesus was asked by Nicodemus how to be saved, Nicodemus said you must be born again. If you've never been born again, you've never put your faith in the Son of God, you need to do it today. You need to trust Him in His name. If you have trusted in His name, maybe today the Lord's just saying, you know what, come back and let me guide you. Come back and meditate more on my word. Come back and follow me. Jesus said, follow me to his disciples and I will make you fishers of men. I don't know how God's speaking to you this morning, but maybe God's speaking to you just about some area of commitment. Maybe you're seeking to dedicate your life to the Lord, rededicate uh, whatever the Lord's leading you. Would you respond to him and to his Holy Spirit this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Maybe you just say, you know what, Pastor Dan, God's working in my heart. And there's something in the message spoke to me today. Something in the message spoke to me today. I need to deal with it with God. Just somehow I need to deal with it with God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make that clear with God. Whatever it is, would you do that? If you, that's your commandment. Would you lift your hand? I'm going to make that clear with God, whatever it is. Amen. Whatever it is, I'm going I'm to make that clear with God. God spoke to me this morning in the message. And would you pray for me, Pastor? Would you lift your hand? That's you. God spoke to me. Amen. And now as the piano begins to play, let's take a moment to respond to the Lord. Ask him to work in our lives. Ask him to guide us and direct us. Father, help us to do business with you. Help us to respond to you. Help us to obey you, I pray. And Lord, we thank you for how you're working in our hearts. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. If God's leading you to come forward, I encourage you to come forward and respond to the Lord. If you want to come forward and pray, if you want to pray in your seat, would you do that? Maybe kneel before the Lord right there and come forward and kneel. Just ask the Lord to help you, that your heart, my heart, that we might seek God with all our heart.